0: She lives in Italy right now. I met Marin in high school because we both tutored uh, elementary school kids after school, and uh, since then we've been really great friends, and um, she has always been uh, interested in Italy and Italian culture and, and Italian food culture, so I thought she would make a great, uh, first interviewee for this podcast, Marin and I have uh, spent a lot of time uh, eating together, <laughs> uh, making food together, and I've always looked up to her as a, a great, um, you know, home cook. Uh, so I couldn't be more excited to show you. Uh, what we talked about. I think it's a great conversation. It's a little long, so I hope you really do listen to all of it, but uh, without further ado, here is Marin on my very first episode of my limited series podcast. do either a mentorship where you like shadowed someone in some field or you took uh, one of the seminars that were that was offered um and um and am I right in thinking that you took the Italian cooking seminar yeah absolutely okay. and then yeah, and yeah. then you also took Italian as one of the languages that uh, yeah we had to definitely. take two languages and um You did Italian for four years? No. So I did
1: Spanish was my main one, but then also I did Latin for three years, and then I did Italian for two years because they only had Italian – they only had two years of Italian. I don't know if they have it four years now, but they only had it two years when I was there, so Mm -hmm. I did it my junior and
0: senior year. So how did you get into – um, you know, Italian culture, Italian language?
1: So the first sort of like the starting point was definitely the, the trip to Italy that I went on between sophomore year and junior year of, uh, high school. Um, it was a trip that my brother had actually gone on maybe five years before me. And he had said that he had had such a good time. And so, It was something that I had been looking forward to. And then, you know, when it was my turn, I went on it. And it was three weeks touring Rome, Venice, uh, Florence, some southern Italian towns, some other sort of Tuscan areas. And I just, I mean, I loved it. It uh, I had been to, I think, Costa Rica before in terms of out of the country and different cultures. But other than that, that was sort of my first time to Europe. And I just remember even, like, landing at, Food, she you know, for the first time, I was like, oh my god, the trees, like even the trees are different. And I just remember from the like first second that I touched down, I was like, this place is cool, and it speaks to me. And then I had a you know an excellent three weeks there, and ate really good food in all different kinds of places, and um, you know, the trip organizers were obviously very. Uh, it was a vacation for them as well, so. Mm they paid attention to making sure that they were eating good food. And luckily, you know, as participants, we got to eat that good food as well. And so it was just sort of a, a really good introduction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not something where, you know, I didn't have to put together the tour. Like, I didn't have to trip advice through it and design it myself. I didn't have to, you know, do some kind of cheesy can tour. It was people that had traveled there many many times and knew some special places to take people so it was sort of a special introduction and I just went from there and I remember coming back from that trip and saying to my parents I was like I want to go back like this is this is it for me and I actually in order to save money to go back the next year I got a job at a sports bar being a hostess there and I worked like Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays doing my shifts as a hostess so that I could save money to, to go back the next year and in fact uh, when I was 17 then I did a six-week language course actually in Friuli of all places and uh, yeah and then from there went back every year and just sort of kept going back and kept you know being excited by it and interested in it
0: Yeah, so you have Italian heritage in your family. Was that ever, like, a a thing growing up?
1: Sure, well, I mean, 100% like but the thing is that italian-american being italian-american is just so different than actually yeah. being italian i mean they're just two different cultures that said there's like a pride there so whenever you know you get excited if you're italian-american and you're like reconnecting with the the homeland the patria mm-hmm. you know like there's some sort of thrill there and feeling of legitimacy which i'm sure influenced me quite a bit but the food, even the the food is different. The the culture is different. They really, it's funny. They come from the same place maybe, but now they have nothing. I shouldn't say nothing to do with each other, but very little to do with each other. But yeah, no, I was, I was very proud, of course, you know, to quote unquote connect with my heritage. But that said, it's, you know, it's funny now in Italy, people always ask me, oh, because they see my last name and they're like, oh, well, you know, oh, so you, you have Italian lineage. You're you know, you're Italian. Does does any of your family speak Italian? And it's like, Nope. <laughs> I'm the only one and I don't know how many of us there are, sixty people. <laughs> I think I'm the only one I shouldn't say it. Maybe some of my cousins took it after me, but I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who speaks Italian. There's not this I guess that's my point. There's not like, Oh, I have a cousin you know, Alessandro out in the you right. know, and I'm gonna go visit him. I mean, in the summer there was none of that, so, oh, okay. so it was is a very it, tenuous connection.
0: <laughs> yeah, is it your dad's side that I mean, I'm obviously because your last name, but uh, is it your dad's mom that came from Italy or his grandparents or what?
1: So, the connection is my, my dad's father, so my grandfather is 100% Italian, uh-huh. um, but he was born in the U.S. Uh, Both of his parents were from Italy and born in Italy. So my great-grandparents were born in Italy. One was born... My great-grandfather was born in um, Amaseno, which is a small town uh, in the province of Frosinone, in in an area... um, (laughs) In an area with mountains and sort of buffalo mozzarella kind of stuff, uh, going towards Naples. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, my great-grandmother is actually from the region of Campania, so the region of Naples and whatever, but north of Naples. So, you know, they're from a very central Italy, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's unclear if they were originally from the north and they ended up in central Italy, Or, but my last name, which means onion, mm-hmm. it's funny because a lot of my friends are obviously from Sicily, or as you know they're from sicily and they're always like oh you know i got my friend you know, i've you know met people with my last name a lot of people tend to say oh that's a sicilian last name but as far as i know i have no sicilian connection mm-hmm. but uh, it is something that you see down there but no central central italy
0: oh this is so great i feel like we've never talked about this before in our like 11 or 12 years of being friends this is really great
1: yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to share it with you.
0: <laughs> okay, well, so tell me what dinner was like at the Sapola household growing up. Well, i I come
1: home from school, would probably be like 4 o'clock or something. My mom was always watching Food Network. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, always. And that was like the golden, what I would consider the golden age of Food Network. Because it was Mario Batali, yeah. and it, it was... Molto Mario and uh, Barefoot Contessa, Ina Ina Gardner, and still, like, people who could legitimately, like, cook. Anyway, so we would come home. She would be drinking a little glass of wine from, like, a juice glass or something, and we would sit and we'd watch Food Network. And to this day, I still miss, like, it's two things. If I'm back in the U.S., I miss the old food network and being able to like, just turn that on at like happy hour time. You're like, if you were coming home from work and you just needed to like de-stress, just like watching some like Ina Gardner like cooking, yeah. I miss it. Um, because now they just have such trash on her. But anyway, so I come home, you know, from school and she'd be watching that. And eventually she would have to go start cooking dinner and you've been to my house and there's, you know, our kitchen has an Island and some stools. And so she would start cooking Um, and the stovetop was on the same, was on the island and I would sit on the other side of the stool and do my homework or talk or whatever, but I would be watching her. So she'd be chopping up onions or Mm -hmm. frying some garlic or, you know, cooking, whatever it is that she's doing. And I would watch. So I'm watching the food network and I'm watching my mother. And those two things sort of help you start to learn and know how to cook, which I think Mm -hmm. is sort of the key, the key point there was that dinners in our house, you know, mom would cook. Every night there was not a lot of takeout going on or anything like yeah. that. She would cook something and I would sit there and I would watch.
0: And and your dad would he cook it all?
1: No, no, dad was he was forbidden. He was not allowed <laughs> in the kitchen. <laughs> my mother's my mother's very particular about where she. My mother is like the kitchen is gadgeted out. Like she has all sorts of like utensils and pans organized according to whatever you know is in her head mm-hmm. and if dad gets in there and he's like where is the cheese grinder and she just gets very annoyed with <laughs> trying to explain to him where the things are and she does and then he puts them back in the wrong places and she can't find them so it's like the rule is like dad is not allowed in the kitchen so the only time dad would cook would be if mom was like out of town yeah and then he would get excited because dad loves cooking and he loves eating um he clearly doesn't do it as much as mom but you know, if he could make some gnocchi or something, he would get real excited and get out the potato ricer and, you know, get Mm. to work. (laughs) But it would require mother not being around. Um,
0: but, okay. So you, uh, obviously live in Italy now. So when you eat out in Italy, what are the kinds of foods that, uh, really excite you, um, either in when you're going out for like a casual bite or if you're sitting down for a fancy dinner.
1: So, fancy dinners don't happen very often because I don't know why. There's there's a different culture, at least the people that I know in Italy, there's a different culture. It's not like New York where I think there's a lot of like treat yourself, and mm-hmm. like whatever the next hottest restaurant. We all go there. Um, There's not a whole lot of that. And it just, that culture doesn't exist for me in my social circles. (laughs) So we tend to keep it pretty simple. Um, But what's exciting to me when I go out is, you know, Italy obviously has a a great tradition of, of heritage products, right? So whether it's pork or cheese or whatever it is, it's, you know, the pork or the cheese of that specific region or whatever. What what excites me is eating that wherever it's made. So oh. you know, my example uh, to you, you know, I have a couple sort of ideas, but you know, when we ate Porchetta
0: yeah. well, granted I
1: didn't I went to go get it in the Castelli Romani, so outside of Rome. We ate it in Rome, but it's very much a, a Lazio kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or or going to colonata to, to eat the lardo. <laughs> In you know where it's made, which is great. So you're looking at the hills, and you're like, I was I remember being there and looking around and be like, where are these pigs that are making this lardo? I don't know where they are, but anyway, it just seems to taste better when you're eating it pretty close to where it's made, and I think that there's maybe it's uh, a, a, a psychological factor too, where you just think like, wow, I'm really sort of in the in the place of origin, you know, just. Maybe it's a trick of authenticity. I don't know if it actually tastes better because you're closer to it, and it possibly does, or if you're just, your mind sort of tricks you into it, but that excites me as being in, you know, eating a specialty of of an area, in that area, and not just going to a supermarket and buying it or whatever, like when you're in Bologna, eating some really great bragu or some tortellini. Um, Anyway, those kinds of things, to me, are exciting. Another thing that I particularly like when I go out is just food done well, which I think Italy in the past, you know, ever since I've been going there, the food quality has been declining. I would say the average, if you go there and you're visiting, it's more likely that you're going to end up in a place that's not that good. Um, and I don't I don't know why that is. But anyway, my point is it's just a little bit harder to find those sort of really good quality doing honest things Mm -hmm. where they're, you know, it's not all frozen or whatever. So I I love those places, but on the flip side, you know, where we, where you and I and Ryan went to uh, have our, our meal outside of Spezia Mm -hmm. where granted Georgia wasn't there, but you know, he's doing fun things and just completely changing, you know, he's not sticking to, to, to tradition, which is what, so many italians do so you go out to eat and everyone has the same five things on the menu i appreciate that he's trying to do something totally different and sometimes it tastes amazing and sometimes it you know you're like well that was a little weird but i appreciate that sort of innovation which you don't again find very often so it's it's like tradition on one hand and innovation on the other hand so those those two things are exciting to me but again unfortunately i think a lot of eating is not so great these days in Italy and you're best, you know, buying the products yourself. And if you know how to handle food, you know, getting a place with the kitchen and cooking yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. So when you cook for yourself, you're, you're for the whole, eschewing certain aspects of tradition in favor of creativity. Oh, a hundred
1: percent. Well, you have to understand
0: too that they, well,
1: first of all, okay. Yeah. Because when you start to get into, like, discussions about what's authentic and what's not, and you get people, you know, the classic case is, like, ragu bolognese. Like, does it have tomato in it? How long are you supposed to sip it? Right? Like, all this shit. Mm-hmm. And, like, honestly, I don't really care as long as it tastes good. Yeah. And maybe it's not exactly, you know what I'm saying? So sometimes people lose themselves in, like, what, they get too concerned with tradition. So I don't really, I'm not so interested in that. yeah mm-hmm. um,
0: when I made um, ragu bolognese, is it bolognese? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Last weekend, I got the recipe out of your Geometry of Pasta book that you gave me for my birthday a few years ago. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was really funny because one of the last sentences they have in the recipe page uh, for ragu bolognese is um, the addition of uh, red chili pepper flakes Is can be heretical, but is not displeasing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great tongue-in-cheek book. I mean, I love that that book. And and the point is, here's the thing, and it's maddening. Like, if you come and like live in this country, it's maddening to me because they have certain ideas about what you eat and Mm -hmm. what you don't eat, and the order that you eat it in, and like they don't. For instance, they will not put like a vegetable and a meat on the same like plate. Like, there are courses. Like, there is a meat course, and then there is a contorno, and, like, maybe you might eat them at the same time, but you have to have the vegetable on the side. And I'm just like, it's funny, because I've had this conversation with my mother where we both understand it. We're like, but we want, like, a little bite of this, and then we want a little bite of that. And maybe mm-hmm. we want to mix them together. And for them, it's like, oh, my God, keep the plate as separate. as, Like, you can't mix stuff. They don't want any kind of confusion of flavors. And then they have things that... Are crazy to me. I mean, again, this is it's getting away from tradition in the sense of how you produce something, but tradition in terms of how you eat, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't like they. I mean, this is very broad, but cinnamon. They tend to be against cinnamon. And it's just like what the, fuck? You know, Jesus Christ! When you start. When you, by the way, when you start looking at how many American desserts have cinnamon in them or like breakfast (laughs) items it's like oh my god they won't eat this they won't eat that they won't eat that yeah
0: (laughs) I know it's just anyway yeah so okay but when you do cook for yourself let's say you're having someone over for dinner and you want to like zhuzh it up from the normal stuff you cook for yourself what are your favorite kind of dishes to make
1: Mm, when I'm cooking for people, I mean, the key thing is to just make something that I think that they will think is delicious. That's the number one. But if I wanted to, like, put more work into it, I mean, my go-to is obviously a ragu. I mean, I, I think they're, you know, either a bolognese or I told you about the duck ragu, mm-hmm. which I really like as well. I mean, they're, they're fun things. You know, they take... You know, let's say an hour to get all the prep work done and to get it going and then you just let them sit on the stove for four hours or something like that and if you want to make it real fancy then you make lasagna out of it and it's just these multi-step things that when cooking is fun or therapeutic for you it, it's almost like the longer and more tedious the better <laughs> it's like there's more joy out of it so let me make something like that And it, it, you know, and they taste good too. So, that's what I go for. I, I will say that I, I shy away from. And kudos to you making my own pasta. And that's sort of a, you know, I I don't want to say the final frontier because I have lots of frontiers, but that's something that I don't really start to get into. Which is again that extra step of okay, if I'm going to make lasagna, I'm going to, am I going to make the noodle from scratch and. For me, the answer right now is no, I'm not going to. But I will make the ragu from scratch, and I'll make the, you know, the bechamel and and assemble it all from scratch. But I'm not going to make the pasta quite yet. But that will be something, I'm sure, as I get older that I'll get into. Because, you know, again, the more complicated, the better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I want to tell you about my first time making pasta this last weekend from scratch. How did it go? It was was not a success, but it was not a failure. So I made pepper deli and I think my problem was that I used jumbo eggs instead of large eggs which was what the recipe Mm -hmm. called for and so when I fed it through the pasta roller it was just like I don't even know how to describe the batter it was like or I don't even want to call it it's not batter but (laughs) the dough it looked almost like a very thick like uh, pancake batter when you passed it through the pasta roller because it would break apart and in, in these, like, stringy holes. It was too appear. wet. Yeah. And no matter how much I tried to flour it and, like, you know, roll it out, ultimately I had to forego the pasta roller and just use, uh, like, God a, damn it. I uh, swear
1: to God, Manasa. Uh-huh. It's like, I I love... Cooking and I like certain forms of baking, like cakes, for whatever reason. I feel like I can do a pretty good job of uh-huh. things like that involve dough, so pasta, pie, pie dough, uh, bread, all those kinds of things. There's some sort of like mystery, and maybe it's just a practice thing, but I swear to you, they like scare me. I just don't have, I can't, they're not predictable to me, and I feel like I like have the, the, desire to make it and have it turn out well and but I just never know how it's you know, gonna come out I, I feel like it tends to be disappointing so I
0: 100%, I'm proud of you for
1: even I,
0: trying I 100% agree with you I'm on the same page as you when it comes to things like baking or making doughs because when I cook I like to just read a list of ingredients that I have to add and then like proportions I do myself like I Just add however much of whatever spice I feel like, or add as many vegetables as I want to. So I don't like doing the whole measuring out. Even it's weird because I feel like the more precise the instructions are, the less I successful (laughs) it turns out to be. I don't know why. Well, the thing is,
1: no, no, no. Oh, that makes. I, that makes sense to me, but I think it's also a, a question of, like, there can be different, like, humidities, and one day it's 350 grams of flour, and another day it's 300 grams of flour, and it's just, it, to me, it's maddening. and one yeah. has to kind of get the, get the feel of, like, touch, right? So does it feel like the texture? Does it feel springy enough? Does it feel stretchy enough I don't know like these little things that you just have to have an instinct for and there's actually they can be very specific instructions but you have to just know yeah. you know like does it look right like I made bread a couple weeks ago and it was like for, for Christ's sake like the first rise was okay but the second rise I was like this doesn't really seem like it's coming up that far and in fact it was like a brick at the end and of course you do some reverse you know some research after the fact and it's like oh yeah by the way it's really hard to make bread with 100 percent whole wheat flour because there's not enough gluten and you're like fucking a like i wish i had known that at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's just, it's just trial and error and i yeah i think yeah. It's, I, those kinds of doughs are just tough
0: yeah i mean ultimately i had just rolled it out by hand with like a rolling pin and then cut it with like a pizza cutter <laughs> but and that and and it I thought it was fine until that point, because, like, the noodles felt fine, like they were an appropriate thickness, and the part that I kind of freaked out the most at was when I actually, because I kind of set it aside while I was doing something else, and then when I went back to, like, put the pasta in the water, I... Made the mistake of picking up multiple noodles at once and not keeping them separate, and I guess because it wasn't the right consistency, they stuck together. So, like, or a lot of the noodles stuck together, and so half of the pappardelle ended up being just clumpy. Oh my god!
1: (laughs) I swear to you, it's like, and here, that's that's another one of those things. Like, I feel like the beautiful thing about making, like, a pasta sauce, or I don't know, is that you taste as you go, and you kind of know how it's going to come out, Uh and when you're making a dough, the mystery is, I mean, you know, like, as you're going along, you're like, shit, like, this is too sticky, or, like, this seems off or whatever you're like but you're like but i'm this far so i'm just gonna keep going (laughs) and you have no idea like okay if i'm gonna put it in the oven or put it in the boiling water or like i don't know like i guess my point is like at every step it seems like there's an extra variable of like oh god what's what's gonna happen now and you just hope for the best and you hope like oh please like let it come out in the end and i think often you know i'm like okay it's too sticky or whatever but when i cook it it'll be okay and yeah. often that's actually just wrong. It just never, <laughs> it, it never, it never gets to where it's supposed to be. But I keep holding out hope. Uh, anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah, good luck yeah. to you. Just, just keep trying. <laughs> yeah, I, I have,
0: I have a couple months to, to keep trying. Uh, also, the the mozzarella that I tried to make was not. Um, Mo- mozzarella. It was more like a very <laughs> firm ricotta. It just like didn't stretch at all. Um, and I think it's just uh, since making it, I've read up on other recipes on how to make mozzarella. And I think I just used a recipe that was uh, awful, <laughs> or like uh, like uh came with the cheese making kit that I ordered off of Amazon. So, <laughs> not following that lady's advice again. Um, yeah,
1: I think, I think there's, like, a part of cooking that involves hope,
0: yeah. like,
1: where, like, an optimism where you're like, wow, like, I, I could, if I pulled this off, it's going to be something that I, I am responsible for, and I brought into this world, right? Yeah. And sometimes that's what happens, But other times you're like, shit, I just should
0: have bought it
1: at the store. Yeah,
0: I know. I was just in Dean and DeLuca this last weekend, and the only reason why I'm thinking about making mozzarella from scratch is to have the bocconcini. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, yeah, you are. Um, but uh, on the crostini. That's literally the only use I have of mozzarella in the menu that I have planned. And I picked up a box of that at Dina De Luca to see what the price was like. And it was, like, three bucks. And I was like, why do I go so through it was, like, this? super cheap. Yeah. It was, like, yeah. why go through this trouble when you can get, like, good quality... Um, Cheese in the store, 100
1: percent. I know, I know. Well, it's it's like no, but it's a desire to produce, and no, I get it. But I think it's something that like as we get older, and I'm like I talk, it's like I'm so much older than you. But like really, with every year that passes, I feel like I learn. Like (laughs) I just start to get wiser, and it's just like some of these things. Like it could be a fun project. It could go well, but like it's not
0: worth
1: it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) especially when it comes to like primary ingredients like you know if you have to assemble something and you really like you you like this flavor combination or whatever go go make it that's fine but primary ingredients start to be like you know you have to weigh how difficult is it and what's the result Mm -hmm. and I guess if there's an economic component of it as well you know like can I do this cheaper and better and faster and if you can't I don't know.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe evaluate Maybe your your efforts are best directed towards something else. But I mean, um,
0: anyway. So when you cook, um, where do you get your inspiration from? Do you uh, borrow recipes from books? Do you come up with stuff off the top of your head? Is it a combination of both? Things, things so, you've eaten before, that's where you so get your inspiration?
1: It's both, obviously, mm-hmm. because... You can't just totally invent things. So I like Smitten Kitchen's, you know, I'm addicted to her her blog and I think her recipes tend to come out well and I like that they have so many comments on them so that you can always check and say like, if you have a doubt, if you read through a recipe and you're like, really, is that, is that what you do there? Or like, if I don't have this ingredient, can I, because a lot. I'm one of those people that reads a recipe, and it's like if I have three quarters of the ingredients, maybe it's a go. <laughs>
0: you
1: know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. Let's improvise here. Let's modify. Anyway, I just I appreciate that that's a resource that's to me very helpful, and it's written by a cook for other home cooks. Um, I actually there's some cookbooks that I like, um, but it so that can in other words, I can start from scratch. In other words, I've never eaten this food. It looks good or it looks interesting and I'm going to try it. On the other side, there could be something like I had something at a restaurant that I really liked or my friend made me this and I really liked it or my mom used to make this and you you pull from what you've eaten before and maybe you have a recipe for it. Maybe you have to either invent one or look for one or you know try one. But it often is like that. You're like, what am I in the mood for? And you think about something that you've already eaten and then you try and recreate that On the other hand, a lot of times I have this like sort of obsessive, what do you want to call it? I hate wasting things. Mm -hmm. So I look in my fridge and I'll be like, okay, I got like this half eaten hunk of cheese. I have some capers. I have, or capers don't really go bad, but anyway, things in your fridge that are about to go bad and you're like, oh God, what am I going to do? And you put together a list of five ingredients and you're like, Can can I make something that combines these things? Yeah, like is pretty good. And actually that has led me to great meals you know mm-hmm. that it works out for the best a lot of times and that's kind of a fun thing because you can improvise with whatever you have and it's almost like a game like okay what can I make you know you can pretend you're on a kitchen show or whatever and they've given you some random <laughs> you know assortment <laughs> ingredients you're yeah. like, okay how can I iron chef this out right now yeah um uh, but yeah no I think if you if you like cooking you have some you know skill or know-how about it you can always conjure up some, some good stuff just from whatever you find in your fridge.
0: All right, so tell me about a favorite meal memory because I have to say, and I'm not just saying this to say it, but I feel like most of my favorite meal memories involve you, like when we cook together or when you've had me over for dinner or I've had you over for dinner. Um, those, those were really special moments for me that I still... Hold very dear to my heart so I'd love to hear about a favorite meal memory from you if you have one if you can't think of one no I I,
1: no I definitely have them um I will say I mean we're talking about meal memories and you just mentioned yours I'm just going to put a plug in for your food here, I, I don't. I, it's it's embarrassing that I like never remember what they're called. But the, <laughs> that, that thing you made with the pork <laughs> and the sauces, I really like that. So I still remember that. That's a very strong food memory for me. And then those things that you made, the, I think they were flautas. Yeah, they call are they called are they flautas anyway? But you make all kinds of awesome stuff. And cooking with your mom was really really fun. She made <laughs> the Indian food, and she taught me how to like make cauliflower into small pieces without getting it all over the place. That was exciting. Um, but no, this is the meal memory that I wanted to talk about was just more so a genre of mm-hmm. meal, which is cause I had one today. So a picnic, the concept really? of picnic, yes. <laughs> the concept of picnic. Um, no, I'm just, I think picnics are kind of, they, they can turn into some of my favorite meals because hopefully you're in a beautiful place, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you can pick whatever it is that you're bringing to the picnic, right? So you can get your good primary materials there. So some of the picnics, you and I had the, I mean, we, in Rome with Ryan when mm. we were up on the uh, geniculum, and you can just go get some porchetta and some good bread and some local wine and just, you know, eat out in outside. I think that's kind of my style of meal. I'm trying to think another picnic i had one specifically in mind and now it's now it's escaping me um oh one thing that i i'm not sure if you and ryan ever ended up doing it but one of the sort of one of my favorite things to do in rome is to go to volpe di, uh, yeah. the gastronomia and just buy like pesto and cheese and some bread and they'll open the bottle of wine for you and you go up in the park and you can just sort of like Snack and have just a great meal out in the outdoors. So it's it's not a specific meal memory, but it's it's a genre. Yeah. And
0: um... I do have to say that the experience of that picnic on the Janiculum Hill was truly, truly the most amazing way to to. Be introduced to to a country that you've never been to before, and, and I thank you for that experience. That was yeah, amazing. no,
1: I mean my pleasure. But that's, see, and that's like what I think. If you're gonna come to Italy, or any, I mean any country, you know, hopefully you can you know someone there, you know someone who's who's you know been there, done that a little bit because I don't know. TripAdvisor sometimes is fine. But, uh, a lot of times I feel like you end up going to the the same tourist places that everyone else goes to and you're kind of like, "Eh, and (laughs) (laughs) Italy's known for good food, but eh, where did I end up here? Anyway, there, you can just have to do some digging sometimes. So it's always a treat, I guess, when someone can, can guide you to things that you wouldn't have done yourself, you Mm -hmm. wouldn't have known to do yourself. So my pleasure, my pleasure.
0: So, you have always been, in my mind, an amazing host and uh, a cook, and I told you uh, a little bit about why I am calling this supper club uh, Felicita. Am I saying that right? I need to know Felicita. Felicita. (laughs) Okay. Um, So, why I'm calling it that, it's because, and, and this is something I've told you multiple times before, but... Um, the The concept of sandosham in Tamil, um, it, the word means happiness in Tamil, but it's always used pretty much in the context of when you have people over or you can can serve, you know, a guest a meal or host them, it, you always uh, say in Tamil, it gave me great sandosham or "Great gave me great happiness to be able to host you or to cook for you so when you do have people over for uh dinner um and you and you make food for them is it the the cooking that brings you the joy or is it the hosting that brings you the joy basically why do you have people over for dinner and cook for them
1: so it's it's i I was thinking about this it was a good question and i was like you know because i there's something them happy because you made them food that they like I mean that's that's a treat right but if that were it then I would just cook for people and drop food off at their house and leave and say enjoy
0: you know and
1: you know or maybe sit with them and you know watch them eat a muffin or something and be like oh I'm so glad you like my muffins but it's not it's not that's not what it is I love cooking and I love all the steps and I love eating myself clearly but hosting for me is you know, goes way beyond that. And it's funny that you, you have talked about that concept with me before, but sort of hit me in a different way, maybe this time. And it's, it's absolutely the case. It's a, it's an honor, I think, to, to invite people into your home. You know what I'm saying? And it's an honor to be a guest. So it goes both ways, right? So I feel like, I've always felt super grateful when people have invited me into their homes and taken really good care of me. And sometimes I'm like, what did I do to deserve this? This is so amazing. You know, I have, it's sort of started with, I have, a, I have an aunt who does this for me. I have a, sort of she's not exactly an aunt, but basically an aunt who also has hosted me. And I'm just sort of like, they make great food and they give you, um, uh, my, my former boss was like this too. And you're sort of, you just feel spoiled. You're like, wow, I feel really great. And so but the point is you want to make other people feel that way too. And that's a gift, right? To give someone that feeling, the of being very comfortable, being very satisfied. And um, I think it also has something to do with having a home
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and being sort of happy with your home and wanting to invite people into your home. So I remember the first time that I ever felt like I had a place where I could invite people was in Philly. My last year in university when we were all, you know, me and seven of my friends in, in the, you know, I'm going to call it a townhouse, even though it was a shithole, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, three floors at 40, 55. And we threw some some really awesome, what I would consider awesome, you know, parties, but it had a strong food component. so mm-hmm. big paella parties and some baked pasta. And, you know, they weren't the typical college you know, just keggers, and that's it. Um, but that was the first time that I ever could, say, come to my home. So, you know, growing up with my parents, it was it never felt like my space. And then I was in a dorm, and then in Bologna, I, I didn't have a, a good, um, really, home situation in terms of I didn't feel like it was completely my space. Mm-hmm. But at forty, fifty-five, I remember that first sort of feeling. And then I, did you ever come to, um, when I lived in Brooklyn, our Sunday fun days? Or maybe... Uh- I don't recall. There was a period of time um, when Danielle, Matt, and I would host these sort—I of, mean, very informal—but we'd cook something, we'd maybe go do something, or just you know, it would be like an open house thing, like come over and eat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was also like a really fun kind of communal thing. And then moving over to Hoboken, it was clearly a you know smaller apartment without like a you know a lot of communal space, but it was still a joy to be like, oh, come over, even though our, <laughs> our table could only fit a couple people, but. You know, it's, something, it's a gift to be able to host people and mm. to sort of hopefully communicate with your food and with other things that you appreciate them. It's mm-hmm. a way to sort of, I don't know, an exchange of energy. I'm starting to get into different levels, but <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I think hosting is like serious work, and yeah. it's a pleasure.
0: I actually wanted to run an idea by you. Since our dinner table can only seat eight people, originally I was thinking I might only invite six People and and then there would be Ryan and myself of course but I think because of this being like a multi-course almost tasting menu kind of thing that I would end up standing in the kitchen most of the time anyway and I thought maybe it would make more sense if I just invited an extra person and I just what do you think about that do you think that's gonna get in the way of the whole like concept of the
1: supper club you know it's funny on first thought I'm like hell yeah do that because I just I identify with you where you're like you're almost like you're cooking for people and it's almost um how should I put it it's almost easier to stay in the kitchen when you're just like you guys eat no eat I feel like or like have you ever made pancakes for people yeah and it's like and you're just like, no, really, like, eat them while they're hot. Like, I'll eat them last, <laughs> you know? Or, like, you no, know, and especially you're doing such a big dinner that, I mean, I, like I said, my 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 first impression as someone who's been there is, like, I get you. On the flip side, you know, you have to think about why people are coming. And if it's they're coming to eat the food, then I think that's fine.
0: Uh-huh. If
1: they're coming because... They're, come, they're wanting to connect with you, or is it time to visit with you, then I think it is your responsibility to kind of get your bottom down for a little bit. Yeah. It is going to be a lot of, like, standing and getting up and down, and I, it, it is what it is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but, um, you know, it, <laughs> I, hate, I hate to do this, and I feel like I preach this to, like, literally everyone, but, so, and this is going to sound really crazy, but my dad you know, we went to church every week growing up and as part of church, you have to listen to the Bible. And anyway, one of the stories about Jesus is that he goes over to Mary and Martha's house, which are two sisters. And, um, and one sister is like cleaning and trying to you know get some food out on the table. Cause she's like, Oh shit, Jesus is here. Like I gotta like, you know. <laughs> We gotta like, oh, we gotta present, you know? And the other sister is like sitting and she's just chatting with Jesus. And then one sister gets mad. She's like, dude, why aren't you helping me? Like, you gotta help me. We gotta Jesus is here, we gotta And Jesus is like, yo, calm down. I actually like you should be doing like your sister. And she's like, What? Are, she's lazy, like what is she doing? She's not helping. And he's like, No, the important thing is if I come over. the most important thing is that you have like a communion with your guest and you listen to your guests and you spend time with them. And I think that that's like a really important lesson that I try to practice myself Mm -hmm. and that I think you and I are both, we want to do things well. We want people to be happy and it's not about impressing people per se, but it's about, you know, doing executing something well. Right. Mm -hmm. But, When you're running around in the kitchen and, and, you know, especially if you're, you know, a nervous wreck or something, which you never seem that way, by the way, when we're having dinner at your house, but you have to remember why you're there. And if you're there to be visiting and whatever, that's, you've got to make room for that because that's what people are going to remember, not, you know, whether it was perfect or not or,
0: you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh man, you give the best advice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My little, little, you know it's funny (laughs) going to church every week I remember I hated it like I just hated it I was like oh my god and I think I think I was cynical from birth until 25 Mm -hmm. I'm still slightly cynical but I feel like actually with age I'm getting less cynical but anyway so I just was like oh but anyway the point is that eventually is that you know you 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 listen to these stories again and you're like, "Oh, I guess there's a nugget of wisdom there." Like, "Okay, I can sort of adopt this and take it with me." And anyway, that that one was always it has stayed with me about yeah. what it means to be a guest and what it means to be a host.
0: That is so um, apropos and poignant. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, well, look it that. up. I'm sure there's yeah. a better telling of it than the one I just gave you. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> oh shit, Jesus is here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might have twisted some things. I don't really know. I might, again, I can never remember if it's like Mary is the good sister or Martha. I don't know who, who, who's on point and who's like messing shit up. I would say, you know, just figure out what it, why your guests are there. And if yeah. they're there to visit you, then you got to kind of work around that yeah. and do your best. And you have an open kitchen, so you can still be visiting with people. Yeah. But yeah. I understand you're trying to just get stuff done. It's hard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, that's why, that's why restaurants exist, right? With a, a cook that stays in the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, the chef can't be simultaneously dining with you yeah. and cooking whatever's on your plate. So,
0: um, so I have already told you about my menu at length, but I'm not going to go over all of it, but I wanted to ask you about a couple pieces to see what advice you you have, or what are, what are sure. your thoughts on it?
1: I'll, I'll do my best. I don't know if I have anything for you,
0: but we'll see. <laughs> so, I know I talked to you a little bit about this salumi formaggi board. On Friday, Ryan and I ate at a great restaurant called Gristmill, and they had this pizza. It had nduja. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, nduja? Nduja. <laughs> okay. So, First of all, my question is, is it related to andouille sausage or not? Because that's what our server told us. And then when I Googled it afterwards, there was no uh, reference to andouille. No, andouille
1: is a a spreadable salumi, right? So cured meat that you can spread on bread, and it tends to be spicy. I think it's from Calabria. I could be wrong, but it's from southern Italy.
0: Would that be appropriate (laughs) for a salumi board? like? Just a little bit of, like, a a dab
1: of it? Yeah, I mean, I think you you don't eat it plain, though, so you would, yeah, you would put it on bread. Okay. You don't just, like stick your finger in it, stick it in your mouth, it's not like, going to do you a lollipop. I
0: mean, why not, though, right? Like, uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, I told you before... A that, dream, like, dream big. <laughs> I told you... Why that, not? <laughs> I told you that, like, the reason why I was thinking about not serving any bread with my salumi or No, my I know, to not course. fill
1: people up. No, I yeah. get that 100%, but it's like just serving straight, like, olive oil shots, like, people want you know like you know like there's certain things that sure prosciutto pop in your mouth no big deal wrap it around some fruit or cheese or like whatever it is but I think there are certain things that are like you don't just eat straight mayonnaise like you eat mayonnaise
0: on bread yeah Yeah.
1: so I I wouldn't do that but like you know why not so maybe (laughs) make and do your lollipops maybe you'll blow some minds maybe people will be all about it but again I it's it's in my opinion, that along with like lardo or whatever, it gets to the point where it's it's rich,
0: uh-huh.
1: and you and you don't necessarily want to just stick a ball of it in your mouth. It is a texture thing yeah. too, so yeah. That's a good. Point. That's that's my take on it. <laughs> See if you can make it work with some other thing that you don't think is as filling as bread, but yeah, I think the traditional accompaniment is certainly bread.
0: So I've been extensively Googling where I can find lardo in New York City, and I think they sell it at bon Italia in Chelsea Market, but I haven't gone to check see if that uh-huh. is true or not. But did you ever buy any lardo when you were living in New York no, City? No, <laughs> I never bought any lardo while I was in New York, but
1: <clears throat> I would definitely try bon Italia. The uh-huh. other place that I would look if I were you would be... Mm, the Bedford Cheese Shop. I would Mm -hmm. call them and see if they have it.
0: Okay. Um, And I think the other question that I wanted to ask you was, you gave me a couple of suggestions about um, how to prepare a a lamb entree. um, And one of them was the scotadito. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm butchering all this. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're good. Um, But... Uh, since I don't have a grill, really, do you think it makes sense to do it kind of on a cast iron a couple minutes before the meal is served? Like, because it's really just like a quick flash, right? Um, like I guess really. Yes,
1: yes, yes. You can you can definitely do that. That's the short
0: answer. Yeah, 100%. I guess. My question is, I feel like with meat uh, courses like that. Uh, if I made it all beforehand and just kind of stuck it in the oven to warm it up, it would not be the same. So would you advise that I just do it, like, right before? Yeah, that? I mean,
1: it's, it's going to turn into the whole pancake dilemma, though, right? Yeah. So you're going to have – you can only fit so many of them, like, yeah. in a pan. So I, maybe each person only gets one anyway. Yeah, but yeah. But st- you're probably still going to have to do it in two batches, which I guess will be fine as long as you mm, – they're probably gonna take six minutes, you know, three minutes on each side. So you're gonna have some. I don't know. I guess you can pop them in the oven. Yeah, that should be fine. I would, I would definitely, if you finish them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: s- stick them, you know, for the second batch. Stick the first batch in the oven.
0: Oh, Keep yeah. It hot. Oh, that's so smart. Okay, I never thought of that. Yeah, because you don't <laughs> want it. You don't want them
1: sitting on the. They will cool down quickly. Okay. Um, but I have to say I. I had some killer uh, lamb this summer in Sicily, but people have these, like, big-ass grills, like, huge, <laughs> hot, hot, hot grills, but it's delicious, and you just pick up, you know, and you're eating it like a... Like a, I don't know, like a chicken drumstick or whatever, yeah. just holding it and kind of like gnawing it off. It's, you should actually—that should be the rule, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: I'm not no even knives. Kidding.
1: People uh, with a lamb chop, a lot of the good meat is right by the bone. Mm-hmm. Really, the best way to eat it is with your hands. I promise okay. you.
0: Okay. Good to know. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that piece of advice. And then this is a great tip for you, actually.
1: Mm-hmm. If if should you choose to accept it. Um, so the way they do it in Sicily is, which I had not seen before, but they get their olive oil
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then they put some, um, if you can find whole oregano, right? So a dried oregano plant,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you sort of mm, separate some of the dried leaves into the oil with some salt and some garlic, Okay. not, not finely chopped garlic cloves, right? Just sort of hunks to get the, um, you know, the olive oil tasting a little garlicky, garlic, olive oil, salt, pepper, some oregano things. But then what you do is you leave the sort of oregano branches in the olive oil, and that's what you use to sort of like pick the olive oil mixture up and spread on the lamb.
0: Okay.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. So you put that stuff in a bowl, and then the the branches become the method of application. So not with a spoon or not with whatever you're using, sort of the branches to spread it on there.
0: Um, one last question I had was, so making pepper deli last weekend kind of made me rethink whether I want to do uh, pepper deli for one of my pasta dishes with a duck ragu. Because of the whole cooking the noodles all at once and portioning it out um, into uh, equal portions, um, I was thinking instead I'm would probably do a Garganelli because it's easier to like do kind of like a tasting menu version of that because everybody could get like, you Know eight garganelli or something like that, yeah. No, I right? actually
1: really like the concept of garganelli with that.
0: Yeah, I got a garganelli board. Did I tell you? I have to, I have to try it, but oh my God. I did.
1: You gotta do some videos of you working with that. I'm, yeah. I'm very curious.
0: Um, I, I watched uh, a tutorial on it and it looks relatively straightforward, but all right. Well, that's pretty much all I got. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Thanks so so much for spending your my my pleasure. pleasure the time she took to speak with me Uh, I'd like to thank Amar for the music that you heard in this podcast and um, I'd like to thank anyone who made it to the end of this podcast even though it was very long uh, and evidence of just how carried away I get with ideas Um, I don't know how much longer these will continue it depends on how many people I can get to talk to me Um, but, uh, thank you and stay tuned.